Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. The Lord has put a message on my heart that is somewhat challenging. And I feel compelled as if there's a burning in my heart to share it today. But I want you to know how much I love you at the same time. I, I don't want to create any kind of dissonance here. I just want you to know I love you and care about you deeply. And I, I would be disobedient to the Father if I did not share this message with you today. So I feel privileged and humbled and really clear-headed about the fact that God has called me to this. But I'm not making any excuses for the fact that it is a little bit challenging, and I think the Lord may have something to say to somebody here today, and maybe it's me, <laughs> maybe I'm the one that the Lord wants to speak to. But I want us to take a moment right now. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, kind of push away whatever distractions there are for just a moment and say, Holy Spirit, I'm available. Speak to me. If there's anything I need to know or do or hear or respond, make my heart ready. In Jesus' name, amen. I shared with you earlier about uh, generations. I spoke briefly about those pastors and that young man and how God has worked through generations. It is true that the Bible speaks often of generations. And I, I got to wondering exactly what is a generation? How long is a generation? So I did what maybe most of you would do. I Googled it. What does, what does Google say? And there's no definitive answer. Are you surprised? There's no definitive answer. It's anywhere from 50 years to 15 years is kind of the answer. But it makes a little bit of sense. A generation is the amount of time to have a grandfather and grandmother to have a son or a daughter who then has a grandson or granddaughter. You understand? And that can be that spread of time. It's true that God has worked down through the years in various generations. And today, I feel called to draw our attention to the fact that there have been generations who have been fully and deeply committed to God and that God may want to speak to us today about the kind of generation we are. And listen, I've got to just make this absolutely clear. I love you. I hold nothing against you. I love you. I've, I come in peace, so to speak, right? And listen, I'm just going to tell you this morning, if you start feeling some kind of way in this message, I want you to attribute it to the Holy Spirit, not to me, okay? Because I'm giving my message full of love, and if y'all would just say amen, it would help me out an awful lot, right? So now that we understand that, let's dig in, all right? Let's talk a little bit about chairs. I have these three chairs. I'm going to use these as a visual illustration for us here. But I want to talk about the place of chairs in our lives. Uh, when you're first born, you know, and you get to come home from the hospital, guess where they put you? They put you in an infant seat, right, in the car. You can't go home without that infant seat. And when you get home, you realize that there's a special chair for you around the kitchen table, right? It's a high chair or a booster seat. And so that's your place. Many of you learned about chairs early on in your home, and maybe your home was a lot like my home. In our family room, we had a nice 
you know, not very comfortable couch, but right next to the not very comfortable couch was a very comfortable recliner. And when my brother and I went into that room, we always fought for who would get to sit in the recliner until dad came in the room. And then dad would say something like this, or sometimes mom would get ahead of what dad was going to say and said, boys, get out of dad's chair, right? Did you guys have a house like mine, you know? So that was dad's place. And so by knowing where dad's place was, I knew where my place was or wasn't, as the case may be. Has anybody played in a high school marching band or an orchestra? If you have, then you know how important it is to be the first chair of the violin or the first trumpet chair because that's the most important spot of the person in the orchestra. Or what about if you're a sports person? Like if you play basketball and you're not one of the five starters, you might be what they call the sixth man. And guess where you sit on the bench? You sit right next to the coach. So while the coach is watching and seeing what's going to happen, he's going to get ready to send you in to substitute for one of the players. He's given you very specific instructions. You're not like some of the other players that are seated way down at the end of the bench, right? Because everybody understands there's a place for chairs and how this all matches up. Or how about this one? I think all of us can relate to this one. You're fixing to go for a ride somewhere. Which of us hasn't yelled, shotgun? Huh? We've all wanted to be in that spot. So chairs are important. And for the next couple of minutes, I want you to imagine these three chairs with me, representing three generations, three kinds of people. And I would say to you, the kingdom of heaven is like these three chairs. The first story that I really want to draw you to is that of Joshua. Joshua is a great Old Testament leader. He is the one chosen by God to be the leader for the people of Israel after the death of Moses. Moses had led the people out of captivity. They had wandered through the desert for all those years. And now Moses is dead, and now they need a new leader. And the Lord selects Joshua, and I believe he selected Joshua for a number of reasons. Number one, he was a man of strength and courage. Matter of fact, in the book of Joshua, it tells us, be strong and courageous. And I believe Joshua was strong and courageous. It tells us in the scripture that he was optimistic because at one point before they went into the promised land they sent a group of 12 spies in to check things out and when they came back with the report of the spies as to whether or not they could conquer the land only two of the spies came back with a positive report that was the minority report and they said I think we can do it and Joshua and Caleb were the two that gave that kind of report so he was he was an optimistic leader he was a willing leader, a strong and courageous leader. And then the scripture tells us that he was the guy that won the battle at the famous battle of Jericho. You know, the one where they didn't even fire a volley. They just marched around and blew trumpets and then they were quiet and then they were loud. And then before you know it, the walls came down. And so that's Joshua. That's the guy. And uh, so he's the leader. Now, you've got to fast forward very quick towards the end of his life. And now he's watched, he's seen with his own eyes as he's led God's people with this heavy charge and responsibility that's been on him. And he's gathered as many of the people, the scripture says they all gathered in the valley of Shechem. I just can't imagine they all got there, but that's what the scripture says, they were all there. 
And then he's speaking to these people inside this valley, and it must have been amazing acoustics because the people heard him. And he challenged them, and he knew what was in many of their hearts. And he was coming to the end of his life. He knew he was coming to the end of his life. And he said to all the people that were there, listen to the scripture, Joshua 24, 15 says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And then he ends it by saying, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How would you describe that kind of testimony? How would you describe that kind of life? In these last moments of Joshua's life, here's his testimony. He says, I'm making a personal commitment to wholehearted devotion to God. I don't care what y'all do. I'm just telling you what I'm going to do. That's his testimony. He makes a choice, regardless of peer pressure, I'm ready to serve God. His testimony is clear, and he has a testimony that is worth sharing. And this, I would say, is his testimony. He's sitting in the chair of, say it with me, commitment. That's the chair that he is seated in. So let's let this chair represent the chair of commitment. Joshua's absolutely clear about it. He's going to serve the Lord, and it is the appropriate chair for everyone. But the scripture goes on. Matter of fact, if you turn the pages just a little bit, you go past the end of the book of Judges where you have this valley of Shechem moment, and then you get into Judges, and you find the story sort of wraps up. You find the scripture telling the story of how Joshua's life ended, and they went and buried him. They buried him, it says, in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. So they did that. Then the scripture, in a very short verse, describes two generations. Now, you've got to listen very carefully about how this works. But in verse 10, it says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. That's a really fancy way of saying when that generation had died off. So in other words, Joshua, and then the generation that followed him. So you have Joshua's generation, now this generation that's dying off after him. Listen to what it says. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Are you following this? Joshua, one generation. The next group that all dies off is the second generation. And then a third generation comes along that doesn't know anything about God. Joshua, but as for me and my house, we will, finish it with me, serve the Lord. And then another generation, I'm wondering if they told. I'm wondering what they lived because this generation didn't know anything about God. So I would like to refer to these generations by a couple of names. Let's, let's uh, see if we can give these guys some names. This one in the middle, I'm going to call 
the chair of compromise. If Joshua was sitting in the chair of commitment, then this middle gap is the chair of compromise. And the reason I say they're compromised is because if Joshua was all sold out to God and he could get up and do all what he did, and then this generation went down the road and they don't even know anything about God, what was happening with this generation, they must have not been living the same kind of commitment life that Joshua had been living. You know I love you, right? You know I love you. Hello, y'all out there. I love you. So if you're feeling some kind of way, you talk to the Holy Spirit about that, okay? But listen, I'm just telling you, Joshua was in the chair of commitment. But I'm afraid there's a lot of people followed after Joshua, maybe even today in the church, that are sitting not in the chair of commitment, but in a chair of compromise. And it's a dangerous place, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But then there's this other chair, and these are the folks that they didn't even know. They didn't know God. I'm, I call these folks, they're sitting in the chair of conflict. Because they're, they're in conflict with God. They're in conflict with one another. They don't know peace because they don't know God. And uh, so let's let, let's let that represent them right there. What, what kind of strikes me is that these people that sat in this second chair, they, they had been with Joshua, many of them. They had seen what God had done. They, they had witnessed some of these things. They certainly knew the stories if they hadn't been with him. They had seen the miracles, but somehow they were not seated in the chair of commitment. Joshua was seated here. Joshua was certainly a man after God's own heart. The next generation was seated here, but this third generation is seated in the chair of conflict. I want us to think a little bit about these chairs very quickly before we go. How do we relate to the world depending on where we sit in this chair? I think if you sit in the chair of conflict, the way you relate to God in the world is that you're at odds with God. You're not really all that interested in what God has to offer. You're ambivalent at best. You're maybe agnostic, maybe atheistic, but certainly there's no real need or room in your life for God. But if you sit in the chair of compromise, it may be that you know the Bible or you know the ways of the church, but, you know, other things are just a little more important. They just take more priority. God is good, but he's just one of many good things in your life. And quite honestly, sometimes people that sit in this chair, they don't ever really talk much about God. They'll talk about a lot of other things but they never really talk about God or Jesus or what he's done in their lives. I don't want to say they don't love the Lord, but the truth is they're not living this life of commitment that Joshua lived. And I'm going to tell you that if you choose to live the life of commitment, that means at times you're going to be at odds with the values and the culture of the world you're in. It's just going to put you at odds with it at times. It's going to make you what the scripture says, a peculiar people. <laughs> We're not going to be so comfortable with everything the world does and everything the world says. Matter of fact, you could almost say that if there are not some times that you're ill at ease with the values of the world, you may not be in this chair. I love you, by the way. I love y'all. <laughs> you doing all right? So let's talk about this. I think if you sit in the chair of conflict, 
you're probably going to have some problems. I think if you sit in this chair, you talk the talk. But if you sit in this chair, you walk the walk, you're red hot, you're on fire. And maybe if you're sitting in this chair, you're not lost, but clearly you need to be still searching. And here, if you're sitting here, you're lost. And if you made it to church today, I say there's hope, there's hope. You, you can know Christ today. If you sit here, you say there is no God, and self is the only priority. It's the only priority that could otherwise make sense. But if you sit here, you know God and you love God, but God is just really only one among many things that you do. But if you sit here, you love God with a whole heart. God becomes your everything. If you sit over here, you could describe your world with one word. It's a big clash. <laughs> it's a clash with the world. It's a clash with people. It's a clash with things. Certainly a clash with God. If you want to describe the person here, you might say they're carnal. They live out of the flesh. It's kind of, I'll just do it my way. Even church stuff, I'll do it my way. But if you sit here, you're among the consecrated this was another generation that did not know God. They had heard about God, but were unfaithful. Joshua knew God and had seen God and was committing to serve him with a whole heart. Let me ask you, and know this, I love you. What chair are you sitting in? Well, let me talk about this a little more in the context of the local church. Now, if you're sitting in the chair of conflict, you probably don't go to church. And if you do, you probably, you know, you're not all that engaged. But if you sit in this chair, probably the way it describes you is that you come to church to get a blessing. You, you hope things are good at church today because it's been a tough week and I need a blessing today. I, I hope the preacher's good. I hope I like the music. I hope, I hope I get a tingly feeling when I get to church. But if you sit in this chair, the reason you come to church is because you are willing to go to be a blessing, not so much to get a blessing. If you sit in the chair of conflict, you might say, oh, just get me out of here. And here you might say, I sure hope you can help me. And that's not a bad thing. But if you sit here, your attitude is, how can I help? And your heart is full of service. If you sit here, you're mostly interested in what you like. But if you sit here, you're even willing to put up with some stuff you don't even like because it's not your church anyway. It belongs to God. If you sit here, you don't even come to worship. If you sit here, you come to worship to feel good. If you come here, you sit here so that you can come to worship to give pleasure to God alone. And when it comes to our giving, listen, here you're a taker. Here you're a begrudging giver, and here you have joy in giving, and you're a liberal giver. I, I got a question for you. What chair are you sitting in? And, and oh, by the way, I love you. I do. And what about in our homes? What if we asked ourselves questions about this in our homes? Like if you sit in the chair of commitment, maybe your home is described as loving, self-sacrificing, Praise with your family every day, full of love. But maybe if you sit here, it's more like you're posturing, you're self-centered. Maybe you pray, maybe just on Sundays, or maybe you don't pray on Sundays because it's a stressful day, but 
you tend to keep track and you have an unforgiving spirit. Or maybe if you sit here, you're distant, you're indulgent, and you're selfish in every way. I got a question for you. What chair are you sitting in? Well, what about your character? If you're sitting in the chair of commitment, I would suggest that you're kind of like the Ephesians letter that Paul wrote to the Christians there, where love is mentioned 14 times. That's kind of what describes you. You become that kind of person. You're in love with God with a whole heart, and more than anything, you want to serve. Lord, give me a place, whatever. I'll do whatever, whatever it takes. And your prayer, if there is one in your life, it is, Lord, make me holy. Make me holy. If you sit in this chair... You probably are more like the Revelations 2 where it says you have forsaken your first love. You love God, but only when it's convenient. And rather than serving, you volunteer. And you know what the difference is between a servant and a volunteer? A servant says, I'm available. A volunteer says, I'm available only in these time slots. <laughs> and your prayer here is, Lord, make me happy, not make me holy. And if you sit in the chair of conflict, you're kind of like the church in Laodicea. You're neither hot nor cold. You're not involved. And really, if you prayed at all, it might be, Lord, don't interfere with my pleasure. The lesson that we learn from these chairs is this. Wherever we are seated, wherever we're seated, pick your chair. Wherever we're seated, the next generation tends to sit one down, not the other way around. Everybody starts here. Nobody's born committed. Everybody has to make a choice to be committed, but everybody starts here. But if you wind up sitting here, the chance is the next generation will be in this spot, according to this story in Scripture. And if you sit here, the chance is it's in this spot. This is really the gambler's seat, if there is one. But the good news is, oh, and this is good news. <laughs> no matter which chair you're in today, you can change seats. Woo! You can change seats by the grace of God. He can help you get up from whatever chair you're in that you're not supposed to be in and get into the chair that he wants you to be in. And no matter which chair describes you today, today's a good day to pray and to seek God and say, what do you want to do for me? So here's something we can celebrate together, all right? We can say goodbye to the chair of conflict. How about that? You good with that? Let's say goodbye to that one. And there is enough grace in the kingdom of God to get rid of the chair of conflict. Amen. You can come to trust him. You can come to love him. You can be excited about Jesus. God is not willing that any should perish. He is ready to bring salvation into your heart and into your home. And we can even say goodbye to the chair of compromise. There's enough grace for this too. Jesus, it says in John 10, 10, he came to bring abundant life and not a life of compromise. And so we can get rid of the chair of compromise too. So I want to call you, wherever you are, to make sure you're in the chair of commitment. Now, you'll need grace to move into this chair, too. You don't just kind of get into it by your own good doing. You place yourself there 
by surrendering your life and yourself into the hands of God, and I believe this is the chair that he has designed for every one of us. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what I think Jesus in his gospel says. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, listen, by the way, I love you, by the way. I love y'all. But listen, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I'm just telling you, that sounds an awful lot like this chair as opposed to any of the others. Paul, in Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That sounds like this chair. How about Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That sounds an awful lot like this chair. How about Romans 12:1? Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That sounds an awful lot like this chair. What about Proverbs 3, 5 through 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And then Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the Gospel will save it. And I believe God has called me today to share this with you, that no life is more secure than a life surrendered into God's hands. And if you can't find good enough reason in your own heart to sit in this chair today for yourself, then I would implore you to do it for the sake of your kids and your grandkids. Here's what my heart wants to say today. Every generation starts in the chair of conflict. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to our own way. And some of you that are listening to me right now, you need to admit that you're not seated in this chair, and you know the Lord wants you in this chair. The good news is that if today you find yourself in anything less than this chair, that God Almighty is lovingly reaching out to you today. He's chasing after you. His love is reaching you. He's a good, good father. He's a good, good God. And if you're in the chair of conflict or the chair of compromise, today you can get up and get out of that chair and you can move to the chair of commitment by the grace of God and you can respond to his voice and say yes. Anybody remember the game of musical chairs? Remember how that works? 10 chairs, 11 people, play the music. When the music stops, everybody tries to find a chair. And in the way we used to play it, you know, one person got left out. Well, that may work for that game, 
But that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. Amen. There's a chair for everybody. There's a place for you to be seated too. And God is making room for you. When the music is playing and while this life is still going, you have opportunity. God does not want you to be in conflict with him. God does not want you in the chair of compromise. God is interested in you exploring and enjoying the benefits of his full and complete salvation that is a person seated in the chair of commitment. And when we get to the other side of eternity, I don't think we'll be there for very long at all until we'll be thinking something like this. I wish I'd have surrendered more. I wish I'd have given more. I wish I'd have wept more and prayed more. I wish I'd have loved more, sacrificed more, and served more. There's an unlimited supply of commitment chairs, and it's no game that God invites us to. And so this morning, as a way to respond to this message, and I love you, by the way, <laughs> I think God's presence is here. I think he may be speaking to some moms and dads, some grandmas and grandpas, some young folks about getting up out of the chair that you're seated in metaphorically and get into the chair that God wants you to be in. And so with somebody's help, we're going to move these chairs. By the way, we're making these three all chairs of commitment today, all right? And we're going to move them down here, one here, one here, one there, and there's the altars are here too. And we're going to sing this song about the goodness of God. And if you would like to come up and pray and ask the Lord to help you get right in the chair that you need to be in, I want to encourage you to just move out during this music and this song and say yes to whatever it is that God is saying to you. Use this altar to pray. Come and just sit for a moment in this chair if you'd like, but as a sign of your commitment to be in the chair that God has for you. Will you stand with me, please? Father, in these moments of response, help us to sing of the goodness of God. Help us to celebrate you and thank you that you keep running after us. In Jesus' good and strong name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.